Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a joy to worship with you and to see your faces. If you don't have a Bible, the tables in the back should have a Bible on it. Uh, go ahead and grab that. That is our gift to you. We're in Galatians today in a sermon series that we're calling Set Free, that Christian freedom uh, is what Christ has set us free into. Uh, and, and the whole book of Galatians is about how we live and walk in it. Today's sermon is titled No Other Gospel. No Other Gospel. Now, uh, as we start this morning, I just want to uh, kind of start by way of confession. Uh, if you were here last week, during Paul's introduction, he, he just kind of launches into, what's wrong with you? Get your stuff together. Um, and then in these verses that you just uh, heard Andrew read, he talks about uh, people being accursed. And as you're, as you're considering this as a preacher, as I'm studying this, I'm thinking, man, how do I say this in a, in a way that it, that it lands? How do you say this in a way that uh, it, it is accepted and, and received by the people that I'll be preaching to? And, and in some ways, you feel this kind of propensity to maybe soften things a little bit, to maybe take the rough edges of Paul off of it and to make it a little more powerful palatable to maybe the modern hearer. And, and then as I was praying and considering this, I was just thinking, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just going to go where Paul goes and we're going to go there together. And I read this quote from Luther that really uh, propelled me into this. Luther says this, this is not preaching. Paul's preaching here in Galatians that gains favor from men and from the world for the world finds nothing more irritating and intolerable than hearing its wisdom, righteousness, religion, and power condemned. Uh, and so as, all, as people um, who just live in this world and by osmosis are maybe accepting or believing or walking in some of the teachings of this world, this will be teaching from Paul to us that we want to sit under that may be irritating and intolerable to your ears. But if it is, that's the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, repent and follow Jesus. Repent and follow Jesus. And, and here's the deal. Paul, as he's launched into uh, this letter to the Galatians, it it feels angry, right? It feels angry if you're just reading it. And I heard someone once say that uh, godly anger is just redirected love towards one, towards someone you love that's been, that's been uh, threatened. So if someone you love is being threatened by something and you love them, it, your anger is going to show itself. So Paul, what's happened here in Galatians, I talked about it last week, he's gone to this area, it's, it's kind of modern day Turkey, he's preached the gospel, people have repented, follow Jesus, churches are formed, leaders are raised, they're called new pastors, Paul moves on and he does it all over again in a new place. And as Paul has moved on to a new place, he gets a letter from the Galatians saying, hey, many of the people that you've, you've called uh, to Jesus here, they've swerved away from the gospel. They've abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, through tears, uh, has anger towards the Judaizers, the ones who are doing the false teaching, and anger towards the Galatians who have abandoned Jesus. And the reason why is because he loves them so much and he wants what's best for them. And listen, as your pastor, one day I'm going to have to give an account to God on your behalf. And oftentimes, the thing that may keep me up at night is, is agonizing over the, the health of our church and the health of our souls, and the threats of false teaching that might be getting into our midst. And so as we're walking in today, into today, it, the preaching is not gaining an audience through tickling ears. It is meant to say, hey, let's perk up and let's follow Jesus because there is no other gospel. 
And so the main point from these verses here this morning is this, God's gospel is the only gospel. God's gospel is the only gospel. It is not a gospel among many other gospels. It is the only gospel. Jesus himself in John 14 says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to justification. There is only one way to salvation, and it is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God's gospel is the only gospel. And so here's how we're gonna kind of work through today. We're gonna see what the true gospel is, We're going to see some revisionist gospels. We're going to see a warning from Paul to us. And then we're going to talk about why all this matters. True gospel, revisionist gospel, the warning and why it matters. So the first thing I want to jump into today is what is the true gospel? Look back at your your Bibles with me, verse six. Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Stop right there. Paul's astonished. Uh, In British parlance, he is gobsmacked. He is shocked. He is slacked. I love that phrase, like gobsmacked. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. I do know what it means. It means he's astonished. He's astonished at what? That these Galatian Christians have deserted the gospel. Desertion is the language of soldiers. It's like imagining you and I living in revolutionary war era and we're fighting on behalf of America against the evil empire across the Atlantic Ocean and this whole war is going on and all of a sudden we're just, I don't know, at at some random battle and we lay down our arms, cross the line, join the British troops and begin shooting at our former comrades. That's what desertion is. Or uh, maybe in modern day, it's like a money-hungry baseball player leaving for the crosstown rivals uh, because all he wants to do is earn more money. And automatic, it's like just thinking money is going to win games and overcome inept management, right? 2020 didn't count. Asterix, baby. And all I hear from those fans over there is this. We win a lot of regular season games. Well, cool. Good for you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. That's desertion. And I feel, I feel it. I feel it. We got nothing left, guys. Come on. Now, the Galatian Christians have deserted the gospel, which leads to the question, What did they desert? What did they leave behind? Paul says the grace of Christ. You you are deserting him, Paul, the one who preached, the grace of Christ. And he just spent the first five verses in his introduction driving home two points. He drives home the resurrection of Jesus. He says Jesus has been resurrected by the Father through the Spirit, and then he drives it to the cross of Christ. Verse four says Christ gave himself for our sins. Paul has just spent five verses getting to the heart of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, the death we deserved, and he didn't stay dead. Rather, he was raised victoriously over the grave, over Satan, over shame, over guilt, and over death. This is the gospel, and the good news is we have grace from Jesus, which means he freely offers it to us. 
that we don't have to go and earn it. We don't have to make ourselves righteous. We don't have to make ourselves holy. It is a free gift of his grace. The gospel, church, is that you and I are totally lost and hopeless, unable to save or rescue ourselves. And it is impossible for you and I to pay back the debt we owe to God for our sin. But Jesus, motivated by compassion, gave himself for our sins and rescued us. And we have life in him. So Paul is just in the first five, six verses, just driving back to the gospel again and again and again, because that is the very thing that the Galatian Christians are abandoning. And here's one of the keys of Galatians. In the words of Tim Keller, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity. Or in the words of J.D. Greer, the gospel is not the diving board that we jump off of into to getting into better and deeper things. The gospel is the pool that we swim in. We never leave or graduate from the good news of Jesus. The gospel saves us, and as we cling to it, it continues to transform us day by day, degree by degree. We live from a place of gospel acceptance, and we live into a place of gospel understanding. And so Paul is saying, don't desert the good news of Jesus. Don't desert the grace of Christ on your behalf. Now, one word... I want to key in on there. I'm astonished that you are so quickly, quickly deserting the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is that it's easy. It's easy to be wooed by the things of this world. It's easy to find yourself constantly drawn into clinging to something else. And therefore, Christian, we must make it easy to quickly cling to the gospel. As easy as it is to abandon the gospel, we must make it as easy to stay within it. As easy as it is to quickly leave it, we must make it just as quick to get back into it. Now, there are many means of grace God has given us to cling to the gospel and stay within it. He's given us his word and this gathering and communion and prayer. He's given all of these things. But one of the primary ways at Story Church, we want to make it easy for you to cling to the gospel is through home groups. It's through community. Right, Because if I'm finding myself at a crossroads in life and something is wooing me to desert the gospel, I don't see it. I can't sense it. Right? Sometimes I am the most blind person to what's going on in my own heart and life. So what do I need around me? I need my wife. I need the elders of this church. I need my friends to say, hey, you're, you're wandering down the wrong path. Let me nudge you back onto the right path. Let me make it easy for you to cling to the gospel. Let me speak over you gospel truths and gospel promises for you to cling to. So if you find yourself without community, without a home group at Story Church, I think one of the things you're missing out on is not just friends and fellowship. That's all good stuff. I think one of the things you're missing out on is someone who loves you enough to say you're going the wrong way, cling to the gospel. So the true gospel, the good news of Jesus is that though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, Jesus made us alive with him, and we must cling to that. Which leads to the second point, revisionist gospels. Look at verse seven with me. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So they've abandoned, they've deserted the true gospel to a different gospel, and I love the way Paul begins that. Not that there is another one. That doesn't even exist. 
It's a facade. It's not true. Gospel literally means good news. And there is only one bit of good news under the sun, and it comes from God. Anything that is not the gospel as expressed in God's word, brought to fruition through God's son, anything else is not a gospel. And it is not good news. It is what is called heresy. And there are some, according to verse seven, who are troubling these Galatian Christians and they're distorting the gospel of Jesus. So I have two questions. Who's doing this? Who's distorting the gospel? And what does it mean to distort the gospel? Well, who? Who's distorting the gospel? It's the Judaizers. It's the religious elite sent from Jerusalem to infiltrate this church and bring about false teaching. And I talked about it pretty extensively last week, but essentially what these what these uh, teachers were doing is they were coming in and saying, yeah, 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 that whole finished work of Jesus on the cross, but also be circumcised and obey the Sabbath and do the kosher laws. Like it's Jesus and, it's Jesus plus all of these other things in order to be saved. And and that's just not the good news. Uh, Maybe for today, a, a Roman Catholic would say this, I am justified by faith in Christ. A Roman Catholic would not say this, I am justified by faith in Christ alone. A Roman Catholic would never add the alone. Why? Penance and indulgences and all the other works that you got to do on top of the finished work of Jesus in order to be saved. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were adding something to the gospel to distort it. Distortion literally means pervert or revise. They were perverters, revisers of the gospel, twisters, manglers of the gospel. In other words, they preached a revisionist gospel, which is a false gospel. And false gospels are not good because they trouble you. That word trouble there in verse seven means to agitate your conscience, to kind of cause instability within, to condemn you, to hold you hostage. Why? Because false gospels will drive you away from Jesus and the true gospel drives you to Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. A false gospel, do this, do that, perform this, work your way into that. What does that do? That drives you away from Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that whole Jesus thing got me here. I jumped off the diving board, so to speak, but now I gotta do a whole lot more to to stay in his good graces or to remain there. That troubles you. Your conscience will never be at peace because you will never perform well enough to stay there. But the true gospel drives you into Jesus. Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone. I have rest and peace and comfort that Jesus' perfect righteousness covers me and I am going to stay there. So this idea... Um, I, I read this John Stott quote, and it just kind of floored me this week. He said this, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel, who try to revise it. You see, Paul's problem here in Galatia was not from the Romans, it wasn't from the Gauls, it wasn't from the natives. His problems were from so-called religious people sowing dissension and discord in the church. 
right? And so oftentimes, I think you and I have been trained to think like, man, all of the problems are out there. That's it. There ain't nothing going wrong inside of here. And listen, there's a ton of problems out there, right? I've spent five years talking about that, and I'll spend 50 more if God gives me breath. But there's there's also problems inside of every church, inside of every Christian. And I think what it is oftentimes is believing the wrong things. And so I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about what are the potential false gospels that you and I at Story Church, this time, this place, this people are at risk of believing. The first one, the false gospel of material prosperity. This is baked into the American church. John Piper famously said, the prosperity gospel is the, the biggest export from the United States. Right, go, to, go to many South American and Sub-Saharan Africa churches and you'll find the prosperity gospel brought over by Christians in America. This gospel teaches that the level of our faith determines God's love for us. That if we somehow conjure up just a bit more faith, God will express more and more of his love to me. And his love for me is signaled by cool cars and bigger houses and better investments and least, less doctor appointments and ironically, a whole lot less generosity. Some of the least generous people I know are the richest people I know. And we, we tend to believe that material prosperity, listen, it's it's. That that God, like if I just conjure up a bit more faith, man, God's going to love me enough and just give me all these cool things in life. I'm going to have a life of ease and comfort and without trial. And this gospel is false because the true gospel teaches us that while we were enemies, while we were outcasts, while we were social pariahs, at that exact time, God loved us with the same amount of love with which he loves us now. That while we were far off, he set his love upon us. And his love, this love is the love that compelled Jesus to die for our sins while we hated him and opposed him. And the teaching of the New Testament, the whole teaching of the New Testament, hear me, is that your faith is not about the amount of your faith, but about the object of your faith. That if the object of your faith is a better bank account and less doctor appointments, then it's a false gospel you are believing. But if the object of your faith is Jesus Christ and him crucified in your place, then that's enough. In other words, the Bible teaches bring a weak faith to a strong Christ, and it's enough. That he is so much better than anything in this earth. And if your faith is what truly matters... The amount of it, how much you can conjure up, then you're going to do everything you can to lose it. But it is Christ who holds you fast. Bringing a mustard seed seed faith to God is enough. And whether or not your life is going good or bad, it doesn't change how much he loves you. The second gospel is the false gospel of morality. This false gospel, this false teaching teaches that I can earn or lose my salvation based upon my behavioral performance. So this isn't about our faith, it's about our behavior. Right? It's, like, it's like imagining that the Christian life is your report card at the end of the semester. And, and you got all your, your subjects that you've put on your report card. It's like my Bible reading. Well, I was five out of seven days this week, so that's a B minus. Um, I prayed a couple of times, but I fell asleep both times, so I'll give myself a C. 
I showed up to church twice out of the last six weeks, so that's an A, because that's generally an A in society for that. I'm feeling bad about how my week went, so I'm gonna give, you know, I'll throw a $20 bill in the, the black box on the way out. I'll serve once in a while, maybe Easter and Christmas, and I'll, I'll call that good. And we begin to grade ourselves, and we wait it out, and at the end of it, we're like, 2.7, that's passing, C's get degrees. Cool, I'm in. But if I can turn it up over a 3.0, man, God's gonna love me more. And if I could get a 3.5, maybe even 3.8, like I know I'm not gonna get a 4.0, but I might get a 3.8. And if I do that, oh boy, God's gonna really love me because my behavior is gonna be on point. But if I go below a 2.0, shoot dang, in the words of Scott Workman, shoot dang. (laughs) If you don't know Scott Workman, he's from Arkansas and he says that. Um, If I get a 1.7, God's going to hate me. 1.0, God's going to oppose me. I go below that. I don't even know what's below that. I don't know if that's possible. But if I go below that, I'm going to be condemned forever. Right? And the gospel is this. You got a 0.0. Lovingly, church, Isaiah tells us all of our works are filthy rags. Filthy rags are what women use when they're on their cycle. That's what God says your works are. Filthy rags. You got a 0.0. But Jesus got a 4.0 and he gave it to you. And he said, it's yours. And nothing's gonna change that. And you didn't earn it, so therefore you cannot lose it. That's what the gospel teaches us. Jesus's perfect righteousness robes us. The next false gospel is the false gospel of tolerance. That salvation depends upon how loving or tolerant or affirming or accepting or whatever buzzword you want to use depends on how loving and tolerant I am. And most often that tolerance is determined by others. And here's, here's the dirty little secret of our culture. You'll never get in the end zone. If you give an inch, they'll take a mile. You're going to drive down the field and they're going to move the field goalposts back, right? Well, you were tolerant to this point. Now we need more, right? And, and listen, abortion is evil. In the 90s, it was safe, legal, and rare. Where did it move to now? After? Whenever I want to? Right? The field goalpost is always moving. You'll never get there. And this gospel will constantly express itself. You'll hear this all the time. The Bible says, judge not. (laughs) Read it right. Read it in context. The Bible teaches us that God is the judge. And one day we will all stand before his throne and we will be judged by him. You're gonna hear people say, I only read the red letters I only read what Jesus said. Everything else will just kind of toss it out. Jesus himself says all of the Bible is about him. You're going to hear this saying, winsomeness at all costs. I'd rather be winsome than truthful. I'd rather win a friend than tell the truth. And this gospel leads to cowardice and abandonment of the biblical gospel. I am not saying don't be kind. Hear me, church. I'm not saying that. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. What I am saying is that clarity is kindness. If I'm in a fight with Katie and she's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna gonna tell you why I'm mad. 
I'm not gonna let you resolve this. I'm not gonna let you repent or, or seek restoration here. And she's not being clear with me. How is that kind in any way? If we're in a fight and she's like, you did this, this, and this, and you said this and this and this, and you hurt me in this way, that now gives me an opportunity to say, forgive me, I wronged you. Clarity is kindness. And the gospel teaches us that God is not tolerant of sin. Any sin. God is not tolerant of it. He is so intolerant of sin that he sent his only son to receive the justice that you and I deserved. Jesus was condemned. Jesus bore the wrath of God. Jesus was exiled, so we don't have to be. Jesus took our condemnation and judgment, and he gives evil people like us free grace. And so we should be, of all people, the ones who preach that most prominently with clarity and with kindness. The next one is the false gospel of autonomy. This one teaches that salvation is found in being free from everything and everyone. I am not in submission to or accountable to anything or anyone. We see things like so-called no-cause divorce. I just don't feel like it anymore, I'm out. That's an expression of autonomy on display and it's wrong. We see, and I talked about this last week, immature and hurting boys and girls growing up and pretending to be girls and boys. We see people neglecting their family for work, neglecting their church for activities. And people who believe in the gospel of autonomy are some of the most fragile people I know. You want to know why? Try and hold them accountable. Hey, God said do this, you should do that. Why do you hate me so much? Why are you so mean to me? There's a total inability by the autonomous person to be accountable and be held accountable. And the the true gospel teaches us that the only autonomous being is God. He is outside of control. He is outside of time. He created everything. And though he is autonomous, he gave his life for wicked people like you and I, and he draws us into his kingdom, his family, his church, and his tribe. And in that family, there are values and standards and joy. And my job as a follower of him is to be submitted to him and to his ways. I am not autonomous. I am accountable to God, to his word, and to his people. Submission is a key word to kingdom living, church. You are not autonomous. You are in submission to God. The next false gospel is the false gospel of worldly power. And the next two I'm going to fly through for the sake of time. This false gospel teaches that salvation is found in gaining more power by whatever means necessary. This is blinded political affiliations, ruthless pursuit of promotions, dogged destruction of others, constant desires for executive powers, whatever in the world that means. And this gospel is false because the Bible tells us that kingdom power is foolishness to the world and worldly power is foolishness in the kingdom of Jesus. The most powerful event in human history is a cross. Think about that, church. The second person of the Trinity is son of God by whom all things were created and through whom all things are held together. Jesus Christ breathed his last on a Roman cross 
and was mocked and beaten and betrayed. And it was on that cross where the worldly powers were put to shame, where Satan was defeated, where sin was overcome, where guilt and shame were wiped away and buried, where all sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven by Jesus on a cross. You see, church, I want us to seek kingdom power, not worldly power. Kingdom power is the type of power that sees sins forgiven and prayers answered and people reconciled and marriages restored and, 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 and people delivered from sins. And it sees our community changed and transformed to call Christ king now and forevermore. That only happens through kingdom power. That only happens through Holy Spirit power dwelling in us and using us, which again is foolishness to this world. The final one is the false gospel of safetyism. Salvation is found in me and my loved ones being as safe and free of harm as possible. This one irks me so much. Um, this is, uh, you, you might say, this is where we see helicopter parenting in our world. And before like the boomers laugh in this room, I've seen more helicopter grandparenting than I have helicopter parenting. Don't, don't climb that. No, 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 don't, don't do that. One uh, of my, this is totally, totally sidetracked here. Um, the, uh, my favorite pediatrician we ever had was in Fire Mountain, Texas. Her name was Caroline Whistler. She was awesome. Peyton was about one, maybe, somewhere around there, 18 months, somewhere around there. And uh, we were getting ready to take her to a pedi pediatrician appointment and she was covered in bruises and scratches and, and we're like, oh boy, she's gonna turn us in. <laughs> CPS is gonna come knock on our door. I don't know what we're doing here. And we walk in and we're like starting to make excuses right out of the gate. Like, hey, hey, listen, this, that one I can explain that, right? I, I didn't see that one happen, but that one I can, I can explain. And she's like, hey, chill out. I love to see this. And we're like, what? And she goes, here's what that means. Peyton is exploring the world and she's learning to walk and you're letting her risk it and you're letting her get hurt and you're not stopping that and you're teaching her that in this world she's going to get hurt but she can just get up, dust herself off and keep going. And she totally just like de-escalated the moment and made us feel good about our lack of helicopter parenting. Okay. I got three weeks into one of those sound machines and I'm like, toss that thing out. I don't need to know my kid's heart rate at 3 a.m. What's your body temperature? I don't know. I don't even know what a good one is. What's a bad one? But all I do is you up all night like, oh, is she okay? Somehow kids have survived for millennia and they, they will keep surviving. Now, that's a total tangent. Uh, that's a parenting tangent. I don't, like, choose your, choose your you know, course of action, and that's cool. But in the, in the Christian life, if we believe this gospel, we are absolutely unwilling to risk anything for Jesus. Absolutely unwilling to live for the cause of Christ. And the real gospel, what does it teach us? That Jesus Christ gave everything for us. He risked everything that we might live. Uh, an early church father famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Through the bleeding of the martyrs, the church was born. What if we had a little bit more of that kind of grit, church? 
And I'm not saying, you know, we need to, we need to go move to North Korea and smuggle Bibles in. If you wanna do that, we'll help you do that. But what I am saying is, let's have a little less Ned Flanders and a little more edge on our Christianity. I'm serious. Let's give more, let's serve more, let's preach more, let's build more relationships. Let's go out for the sake of Jesus and say safety, literally be, you know, you know, finish the sentence, because Jesus Christ saved me. And though I, if I may die for the cause of Christ, guess what, I'm just gonna live forever. So I don't need to build a little nest egg over here because Jesus has me. It's the false gospel of safetyism. So those are some of the revisionist gospels that we might believe. For, for me personally, just confession time, the, the, the two that I most prominently walk in is the false gospel of autonomy. I have numbered this for you guys over the years many times. I hate rules, I hate authority, I hate being told what to do. March 2020 was a great time for me. Um, I hate it. But if my soul is bound to Jesus, and it is, then I am in submission to him. I belong to him. He rules my life. He is my king. He gives my marching orders. He tells me what to do. I don't just get to decide it on a whim. I have to repent of that one frequently. And then the idea of power. I love power and control. I know you do too. This idea that I am all powerful over my life, I have to repent of that often. So what's the warning here? Next, next part, next. Let's look at uh, verses eight and nine. If you're teaching or downstream, if you're believing and walking in any of these revisionist gospels, Paul has a warning for us. Verses eight and nine. But even if we, Paul and Barnabas and those who planted the church, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. I love that he says, as, as we said before, and he literally just finished the sentence. He's repeating himself for emphasis here. And what is his emphasis? If anyone's preaching a revisionist gospel, they're accursed. They're condemned. They're cut off. In the same way that Satan was cast out of heaven, the false teacher will be cast out of the kingdom of God. That's the strong language that Paul is using here. That's the warning he's giving to us. If we are teaching or believing any of these false gospels, that's what we're at danger of, church. So what is the true gospel? What is... How do I know what I'm believing and walking in is the true gospel? Well, friends, true biblical teaching and true gospel uh, centrality is not thought up. It is not created afresh. It is not guided by feelings. It is not whimsical and changing. It is a deposit, 2 Timothy 1 teaches us, a deposit that has been entrusted to us from generation to generation through the teaching of the Bible. So what that means is that angelic authority, apostolic authority, Paul's authority, pastoral authority, preaching authority, church authority, all authority in heaven and on earth is derived from God's word. You know it's a true gospel if it is in line with the plain teaching of the Bible with Jesus as the hero. The Bible, in other words, has all authority and the Bible is all about Jesus, not you. And what is the plain teaching of the scriptures about the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel, the good news I preach to you, which you received, which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you cling to, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what? Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12. That's how we know what the true gospel is. If it's in accordance with the scriptures and it finds the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus at the pinnacle of it. So what the Judaizers came into Galatia and did again was say, yeah, yeah, the whole Jesus Messiah thing, but add this, be circumcised, observe the Sabbath, do the kosher laws. Church, anything that says Jesus but or Jesus and or Jesus minus or Jesus plus is not the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is what the good news of the gospel is. And some of those revisionist gospels I just talked about a second ago, they do exactly what these Judaizers were doing. They're saying, yeah, yeah, that whole Jesus as Messiah thing. And also make sure you're safe from everything. Yeah, yeah, the whole Jesus as Messiah thing, but make sure you're fully autonomous in your life and you're the ruler of your own kingdom. Yeah, yeah, that whole Jesus thing, but also make sure you're super tolerant of the whims and the waves of this world. Like, what? It's Jesus alone. That's what the Bible teaches us. And that's how we know it's the true gospel. F.F. Bruce sums it up this way. The gospel preached by Paul is not the true gospel because Paul preached it. It is the true gospel because the risen Christ gave Paul to preach it. Paul didn't come up with it. God did. And God entrusted it to Paul. Final point here. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we heed this warning? Why does it matter that we're aware of false gospels we're believing? Why does it matter that I understand the true gospel? Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Servant being doulos or slave of Christ, submitted to him. So why, church? Why should we contend for true belief? Why do I spend time today exposing false gospels and trying to drive to the center of the true good news of Jesus? because I wanna fight for our true belief and I wanna fight for our right living. You see, right living is not governed by seeking the approval of man, being held captive by man's opinion of us. Why are we trying to please man? We are freed from trying to please man. But the true gospel calls us to live for God and God alone, for God and his glory alone. And here's the truth. In Christ, if you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, you already have the full approval of God. You already have the full pleasure of God. You already have the salvation of God over your life. So you're not trying to earn his approval. You're not trying to earn his pleasure over your life. You already have it. You're just now walking in it and you're living from it. So here's what that means. Again, you find yourself every day in every decision at a crossroads. You have a one way that you can go that's, that's the way of a revisionist gospel. Not heeding the warning of Paul and just going that way. Or you have the way of the true gospel. And here's what the true gospel already makes you into. It already makes you into a child of God. 
And so when you're living according to the true gospel, you're becoming who you already are. When you go into false gospels, you're going back into who you once were. And so if you heed the warning of Paul, what you're going to do is say, every time I'm at a crossroads, I'm going to choose the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to live the way he's called me to live. And I'm going to become who I already am in him. I have his approval. I have his pleasure. And if I choose that, here's why it matters. God's going to be glorified. I'm going to benefit. And my witness in this world is going to go forth. That's why it matters, church. If we live for the sake of Jesus and his good news, then God will be glorified, our lives will be full, and our witness will go forth. If we choose anything else, we will dishonor God, and our souls will shrivel, and our witness will be compromised. I read this this week from Ray Miller. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. That's why it matters. Living for the sake of Jesus in all things, at all times, all false false gospels cast aside. So what matters most? That we get the gospel right. That's why week after week after week after week after week, we're just gonna remind ourselves that we already know that Jesus loves us, And compelled by that love, he lived for us, died for us, and was raised to new life for us. And by a free gift of grace, we're invited into his kingdom, his family, his table, now and forevermore. And I'm gonna live in light of that. That's what the gospel is. And that's, church, what you need to know. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you that you sent Jesus to save us. I pray, God, that we would have ever-deepening understanding of your gospel and that we would be aware, Father, when we begin veering from your word and from your ways, and and that you would draw us back into your kingdom. You would draw us back into awareness of your presence. You would draw us back into obedience to your word, and you would draw us back into a reminder that we are far more loved by you than we could ever comprehend. Help us, God, to be a people who know and cling to and walk in the true good news that you would be glorified through our living, that our lives would be full, and that our witness would go forth. Help us, God. It is so easy for us to quickly desert what we know and what we love. Help us not do that, God. Keep us, hold us, cling to us. pray all this for your name. Amen.